And if you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Today's message uh, is the second in a three-part series, Life Along the Way. It's, as Mark mentioned last week, it's kind of a post-COVID discipleship series. And uh, I think all of us are hoping that as COVID has come to an end now, or at least settled down, that we can begin to live a post-COVID life. Uh, And uh, although we do realize that there are a number of you that are not able to gather with us today, this morning, and we're looking forward to when all of the church can be together. And uh, this, this, the effects of this pandemic will be completely behind us. But if we're honest about it, the, the, the pandemic has interrupted normal parts of our church life, our fellowship, our outreach, the things that we do in church. We get together, we have meals, we have people over in our homes, we go to the office and we interact with people, we go to the gym, uh, we go to different places where we grab meals together. It's hard to be doing that and being in relationship, both in fellowship and in reaching out when you're having to keep social distance from each other. And so COVID has really affected us. And so this morning, um, last week, Mark spoke about waiting on the Lord. Next week, we're going to cover how we help each other. This week, we're looking at when God calls us into his kingdom, we're actually commissioned and sent into the world to continue God's saving mission. And Lord willing, we will be encouraged from God's word to be sent into the world and this amazing privilege that we have this morning. But before we do that, I just want to mention the class that um, was mentioned just a moment ago. It's a seven-week class on sharing your faith that Justin and I are going to be doing together. It starts next week. And brothers and sisters, every Christian needs to know and be able to share the gospel for their spiritual health. And uh, I want to just encourage you, if it's been a while since you've uh, taken a class on sharing your faith... Uh, please come out and be refreshed and be encouraged because one of the great things about the church is we encourage one another as we share stories. That's how life, uh, that's how evangelism gets stirred up as we hear the stories of one another. We're going to be doing that. We're going to be getting to know each other. Um, So at this point, um, Nancy Chase is going to read our scriptures. So John 20 verses 19 through 23. Let's listen as we hear God's word read. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And um, so in our text this morning, you see a group of fearful disciples. Do you notice that? They're they're sitting in a room behind locked doors uh, and then... We see them commissioned for mission and empowered to accomplish that mission. As we examine that encounter with the risen Jesus on Easter evening, we learn that when a disciple receives the peace of Christ, 
he or she is not called just to enjoy that peace, but to go and share that peace with others and the source of that peace with others. Uh, and as we'll see from the Savior's word, it's not just for the disciples in this meeting, in this room that day, it's actually God wants to compel us from his word that just as we have received the peace of Christ, we are called to go into our world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's two simple points from our text today. I thought I'd make it easy because sometimes you go in the parking lot and you say, what was the message about? <laughs> so today it's Jesus saves us and Jesus sends us. Okay, that should be very easy. Okay, you got that? Jesus saves us, point number one. You saw it a little while ago right here, a picture of Jesus saving us. Karis goes into the water, she comes out, picture of being united with Christ in his death and resurrection, brought out into newness of life. And that's a picture. But notice here in verse 19, uh, these disciples hadn't quite experienced that yet. They're cowering in a room filled with fear. The doors are locked. And if you look earlier in the chapter in verse 8, it says that John and Peter had gone to the tomb. And if you read in verse 8, it says that, and John is writing this and it's humble of him, but he says he believed, but he didn't quite yet understand that Jesus had to be raised from the dead. So there was a dawning of the realization of the truth of the gospel, but they fully, hadn't fully realized it yet. And then, then you read later, Mary Magdalene, she saw and encountered the risen Lord. And the Lord said, go tell the disciples. So we assume she may even be in the room. Uh, she may have told them, but they, maybe they're just doubting. They're not sure. We don't know what's going on, but they're afraid. They're afraid uh, Jesus has been killed. Good Friday was two days before. And they're afraid. They're afraid they may be next. They may be ashamed. The truth is these men had abandoned Jesus. They had left him in his moment of need. They fled at his arrest. And um, even though they were aware of the rumors of resurrection, if Jesus were truly raised from the dead and he was to come and see them, what is he going to say to them? Maybe they were afraid, ashamed, feeling uh, whatever. They're, they're, they're fearful. And in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their troubled minds, into this room, John writes in verse 19, Jesus came and stood among them. And he speaks the words, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace was the first word that these failed disciples heard from their resurrected master. Shalom, peace. The word peace is the Hebrew word shalom, which is a word of greeting. But this is more than a simple greeting that Jesus is doing here. These are words of blessing. Jesus had told them in John 14 that he was leaving them his peace. And then in John 16, he told them in the world they were going to have trouble. But even though they would have trouble in the world, he says, I have overcome the world. But he hadn't done it yet. He had not overcome the world. He had not died on that cross and been raised from the dead. And now he is bestowing his peace upon these troubled disciples and then he shows them the emblems of that peace, his hands and his side. He says, look, and then he repeats again, peace be with you. He's saying, it has happened. I've been raised from the dead. Remember Jesus in John 16, he said this, and you can look on your screen and see this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful but your sorrow will be turned to joy so that you have sorrow now, but you will see again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. This shalom, this peace is the, the shalom that is promised in the Old Testament at the coming of the Messiah. 
It means well-being in its truest and fullest sense. It's the experience of the fullest blessings of the kingdom of God. Jesus is communicating something very profound in his greeting to these disciples this evening. Because he's died and because he has been raised, reconciliation with God, peace with God is now possible. The salvation of God has been accomplished. And uh, it's, it's what he's saying here is, is, is profound. Bruce Milne, the commentator, says this. He says, thus his shalom on Easter evening is the complement of it is finished on the cross. For the peace of reconciliation and life from God is now imparted. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has accomplished peace with God. Something that was necessary for sinful men and women to be made right with God. That's because it's impossible for God to overlook sin. He's holy and he's just and every human being feel, falls short of the glory of God and his righteousness and there is no way for humanity to be made right with God except through a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice. Jesus, the only begotten son of the Father, became flesh and lived a sinless life and died a humiliating death on the cross, the perfect son of God made flesh, hung on that cross, receiving, receiving the disciples' sins and the sins of everyone who places their faith in him. And now he has been raised from the dead and he speaks to his disciples for the first time. And he shows them his hands inside. And now as Jesus had prophesied, what happens is what he said would happen. They respond with joy. The ESV says this, he says, they were glad. That's kind of like, uh, it's, it's not really getting at what's going on here. This is what the NIV says. I like it better. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The disciples then, the NSB, then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. There's a sense of deep joy in the text. It's, it's the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. It, they're, they're, and they're realizing it for the first time. They're dead Lord, the one that they thought was dead is now alive again. And, 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 and they realize all those things that he would said to us is, are true. You know, they just had not put it together as John said in verse eight. You know, I think um, when you see this and you see the sort of dawning of reality of how they come to know Jesus as savior and, and we know that he's gonna tell them more about why he had to come and he's gonna reveal to him the meaning of the Old Testament. But it, it makes me think that maybe there's someone here this morning who's, you believe, but you're not really sure that he's been raised from the dead. Maybe you're here because someone invited you. Maybe you're here because you just, just saw the church and you came in and walked in. And if, if that's you or some, I just wanna say to you, it's, I'm thankful, thank you that you're here, but we're grateful you're here. Jesus wants to reveal his love to you. Think about all that he did for you. Think about the, the depth Think about what he went to and went through in order to show his love for sinful men and women. And we're gonna talk a little while about a class that maybe could help you to receive and understand why Jesus came and that, that you can respond to him. And now we turn to verse 21 and we come to the second point that demonstrates when a disciple receives the peace of Christ, he or she is called to go into the world to share the source of that peace. 
So let's read verses 21 and 20 through 23. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now verse 21, we discovered that Jesus is not only concerned about the peace of the disciples and their peace with God, he's concerned with the peace of the world. It is simple. He tells the disciples that his burden for the world is met by two events. The first is, one, by the Father sending him, and the second is him sending the disciples into the world. Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. He had spoken about this sending in, in his high priestly prayer in John 17. I love this, the way this this story ties together so much of John 14 through 17. Listen to the prayer that he had prayed in John 17. He says, they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And now Jesus is fulfilling that prayer by saying to the disciples, as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And he's not just issuing a command. He actually is providing a pattern for their going. This is really astonishing. And if you will with me, just stop and take a deep breath and consider the implications of this for us. As the Father sent me, so I send you. We understand why the Father sent the Son, right? That's obvious. And, and he tells it us over and over again in the Gospel of John. I'll just share one verse with you, John three seventeen. This is what Jesus said. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If you have any doubt about why Jesus came, there it is. He came that the world might be saved through him. And now he's sending these fearful disciples into the world. This is his mission plan. So, and I think sometimes when we think about ourselves sharing the gospel, we think, well, I'm not really, I'm not that great a disciple. You know, we think maybe I, I fall short, I sin, I've got to ask people to forgive me, you know, I snapped at my kids. I mean, how can I testify to the truth of the gospel? Well, let this story be an encouragement to you, okay? You've never denied the Lord. You never ran away when he was crucified. You might have, but as we can see from our text this morning, his blood covers all our sins. And he sends imperfect people into the world to share the good news of the gospel. Isn't that encouraging? Jesus was sent into the world by the Father in order that the world might be saved through him. And he taught the disciples that he needed to be rejected and mistreated and crucified on a cross. And after three days, he would rise. He said that many, several times to him. And he told them he would be glorified being like, by being like a grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies because if it doesn't die, it can't bear much fruit. He told them that everything written about him in the law and the prophets must be fulfilled. His death and resurrection were part of God's eternal saving plan that from the very beginning, the Father sent Jesus into the world as the final perfect sacrifice. As Mark said earlier, fully God, fully man, so that people would no longer to be, need to 
to offer animal sacrifices to be made right with God. So God's covenant love could now be extended not only to the Jewish people, but to all the earth and every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And he told them when he returned to the Father, he would send them the helper, the Holy Spirit, to help them remember and write down and testify to all that he said and did. And now he's commissioning them and saying, this is part of my plan. And peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. You. Jesus' mission and di- the disciples' mission. This is not, this is not, it's really important we get this. This is not two different missions, okay? I did my part, now you do your part. This is the same mission. This is God, part of God's plan. He planned. These disciples walked with Jesus. They were trained by Jesus. He was preparing them. And when he told them that the Spirit would come, that he was telling them, he, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit You're going to write scripture. You're going to remember all the things I've said. You're going to establish the church and you're going to make disciples. And we see that fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. This text this morning is not just the commissioning though of the disciples. Because the church that they were to establish was to make disciples and establish other churches, take the gospel to the world, and then keep establishing churches, keep making disciples until he comes back again. That's the plan. That was God's plan always. And if you think about it, isn't that what happened to you? Aren't you a part of that? Didn't someone who heard from someone who heard from someone who heard from someone tell you about the gospel? Aren't you glad? Could have been your parents. Could have been your aunt. Like me. Someone told you the good news and someone prayed for you. Someone was praying for you. May have been ancestors that prayed for you, like my wife. She had ancestors that were believers and prayed for their descendants. You called on the Lord and you were saved. This is how our community and the ends of the earth are to hear the gospel. It's, there's no other plan. It's through his disciples proclaiming the good news And I just want you to take a moment, think about the people in your life. Think about your friends, your coworkers, the families on the sports teams of your kids, your neighbors, the people we live among and are called to befriend and be salt, delight, and light among. Paul writes about them. He says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. So faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. As we live our lives together, brothers and sisters, God is sending us into the world. And he's doing that so that uh, we can form natural, this is not a, it's not a crazy thing. It's, we we form natural relationships with people. We we live our lives in our community. Uh, This is, this is about being salt, being light. It's not about being super impressive. It's not about having a secret handshake and bringing, adopting people. No, this is just about living Christian lives and sharing our faith out of those lives. That's what he's calling us to do. Form friendships, care about people, serve people, demonstrate the power of the gospel in our lives and live out that gospel and then declare the reality and the meaning of the gospel. You know, there's a, there's a lady in our church who does this so well. She's 
invited a number of people to church. Uh, people have become members as a result of her inviting them to church and affirm their faith. And I was talking to her recently and I said to her, you know, because I'm not as good at this as she is. And I said, tell me, how do, how do you think about this? How do you think about this? If you were going to talk to the church and she said, well, what my husband and I do, and she's got kids from one year old up to teens. So she's busy like all of us. And so she says, I, we just form friendships in our neighborhood. We go to the neighborhood meetings. Uh, we hang out with the families on our sports teams. We're, we serve in our community. And we have people over to our home for meals. We talk to them. We friend, befriend them. And then, you know, usually what happens is someone says, can you go out to brunch on Sunday morning? Just hang out with us. And they say, no, we can't go out to brunch uh, because we're going to church on Sunday morning. And you see there, they've broken the sound barrier. They've let them know they're Christians. You don't have to be, wait to be invited to brunch, but they've, they're, they're, they're testifying that they're Christians. They're, there's something in their lives that's more important to them than all the things that they've been involved in with their friends. And they've experienced their friendship and that usually provokes the question of what church to go to? Why do you go to church? And there's the opportunity to give the reason for the hope that is inside of them, right? It's just a simple thing. And, uh, and I'll share a story from my own life just from recently, not because I'm good at this, because I'm not. I hope it encourages you because it just happened this month when I was, I was reading in my normal reading plan, the book of Exodus. And uh, I got to the place where God says, I'm going to show you, Pharaoh, how great my name is among the nations. And then I read through all the plagues. I couldn't, st I couldn't read one chapter. I read through all the plagues at once because it was so exciting. And then it gets to the Passover and where a, a spotless lamb receives the wrath of God on behalf of the people. And God tells them, you know, do this again and again and again. I thought to myself, I've never, I've never been to a Passover Seder. And God just put it on my heart. I'd love to do that. So I Google it, what is a Seder? And there's a thing called the Haggadah that you read at the Seder. I think that's how you pronounce it. And then I thought of my neighbor who's Jewish, who we've had over to our home. And I just, when I saw him outside, I said, hey, are, have you ever been to a Seder? He goes, I'm Jewish. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, good, good. Uh, I thought so. He said, I haven't done it in a long time. I'm not very, very religious. I said, would you like to do a Seder with me and my wife, you and your wife? And, and he, he said, sure. And I said, well, you know, um, you know, we're Christians. Uh, he knows we're Christians. He knows I'm a pastor. I said, uh, the book of Exodus, I was reading it recently, and it's really, it's, it's a Jewish book and it's also a Christian book. So if we do the Seder, could we include a couple of elements from, from Christianity in it too? He said, sure, no problem. So we're going we're gonna to do that next month. Simple. Nothing, nothing impressive about that. There was nothing scary about that. It's just the heart. God put it on my heart. But we live. Now, you know, as we share these stories I'm aware that we, ha we have a tendency to be fearful when we think of sharing our faith. And we think, we can th kind of think like this, this commission is Jesus kind of stirring us up at halftime and saying, go, leave it all on the court. But it's not what he's about. He's showing them his nail-scarred hands. He's crucified in weakness. And he sends us out in humility with the message of a crucified savior. And he's not sending us out alone. And uh, so he writes, or he says, when he had said this in verse 22 and verse 23, when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. Okay. 
Before we talk about the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to talk about verse 23 just for a second briefly because I know you want me to do that. Just briefly. Uh, what does this mean? We can read that and think, well, God's giving certain people the ability to forgive sins and hold, withhold sins. But we interpret scripture according to scripture. And we know that Jesus said only God can forgive sins, right? He said that when he healed the paralytic. So we know that from scripture. And secondly, we have no instance in the New Testament anywhere in the book of Acts or in the letters of the disciples conferring on anybody the forgiveness of sins or withholding it. So what Jesus is basically doing is giving them the authority to preach the gospel with authority. And when they testify of the gospel, when people receive that gospel in repentance and faith, they can declare their sins are forgiven. If they don't, they retain their sins. They themselves, because they've not received Christ. If you want to talk about that more or the next section, verse 22, which I'm going to read here. And when they heard this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And this is another uh, verse that it raises questions about what's happening here. How does it relate to Pentecost? Well, time doesn't permit me to cover all the, the issues here, but I believe it's not Pentecost that's happening right here, obviously. And if you want to talk about it, come and see me. I'd love to get together with you and sit and talk about Bible and Holy Spirit. I'd love to do that anytime. But let me move on to what it really is important here. What's really important and why the Holy Spirit is referred to here for the simple reason is the church is unable to fulfill its mission without the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll say that again. The church is unable to fulfill its mission. We are unable to be successful as sent ones without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As Jesus was summoned by the Father and when he was commissioned for ministry at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon him and he did his works in the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit. So we must be filled with the Holy Spirit and go and do our works in the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that unites us to Jesus Christ and fills us and makes us new and brings us all the benefits of what Christ has accomplished. And if you think about it, part of the challenge that we face, this is, not, this is uh, by way of encouragement, by the way, we're being sent to blind people who don't know that they're alienated from God. They're, their hearts are hardened. They're unaware of their need and they're unable to respond to Christ. And we're to tell them to respond to Christ. It's kind of a, not a very one, nice assignment, right? It wouldn't be unless we had the Holy Spirit with us. And we do. And the Lord promises to be with us as we do this. He says, lo, I am with you always, always. And the Spirit's presence is with us as we declare the gospel. And you know, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of talents in this room. If I look around the room, we could, we could do a lot of things here. We could, uh, we could create an album, music album. There are guys here who could create battle plans for, for war. There are people here who can fix computers. There are people here who can raise and teach children. We could do a lot of things on this earth. But the one thing we cannot do is we cannot raise the dead. We cannot be successful in our mission without the Holy Spirit's help. And so that is why we're commanded to pray that the Lord of the harvest will give us a harvest. We are commanded to be on our knees and acknowledge our need and say, Heavenly Father, my neighbors, they don't know you. My children, they don't know you. Lord, have mercy on their souls. 
open their eyes to the work of Jesus Christ, to the love of Christ. We've got to be crying out to God on behalf of the people that we love and that we're called to share the gospel with. And, and, and in, in his book, and I think I share about this book every time I talk about evangelism, but I will, I, no apologies. J.I. Packer's Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. It was, it's my favorite book on evangelism because in it he says, the fact that no one can come to Christ apart from God working should drive us to our knees. And that way, when they come to Christ, we'll know who to give the glory to. And we can, and, and the fact that God will, is promised to, to raise the dead, it gives us motivation to be on our knees praying for them. If we leave out the prayer, being sent is pointless, brothers and sisters. So we've got to be praying. We've got to be praying. I, I just want to just put that in there. That's why the Holy Spirit is here. And um, that's why this is, Jesus is, is, is talking about this at this point in this incident here. So the primary reason Jesus says this to them here is receive the Holy Spirit. Um, there are two implications for it. Number one, we don't have to feel any pressure when we share the gospel. You know, when you, if you actually do get a chance to share the gospel with someone and they come to a place where they understand the gospel and you say, well, they say, well, I understand Jesus died for my sins. Now what do I have to do? Well, of course you share with them, well, we have to repent and believe. And then you explain that to them. And when they you know, when that happens, when a person understands that and they say, oh, I understand the gospel now and I understand that I need, to, I need to depend on Jesus Christ for my salvation, that's a holy moment when they say, I understand that. But you don't have to put pressure on them to do it. You say, are you ready to do it? And you wait. You, 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 it's not a time for us to put pressure on people. But you ask, are you ready? Do you see that he's offered you salvation? Are you ready? And that's, that's one of the implications. The other one that I've already covered before I got to it in my notes is you have to pray. So I'll just move on from there. <laughs> that was just on my heart so much. It just came out early. All right. Now, so what does this mean? How do we, how do we finish here? What does it mean for us in Northern Virginia? What does it mean to be sent into Northern Virginia or Maryland or DC if you live in DC? And if, I wanna just give you a simple illustration. In a few minutes, we have the privilege of a, as a church to send David Curlin out as a missionary to Japan. We're gonna be praying for him. We're gonna be commissioning him. We're gonna be sending him along with the International Mission Board to go to Japan to represent Jesus Christ and testify of his work. When he gets there, he's going to be studying the people. He's going to be interacting. He told me this morning that he's going to have to do uh, some, some physical therapy on his leg. I said, oh, there's a ministry opportunity. <laughs> you know, he's going to be, as he meets people, he's going to be thinking, is this a person God wants me to share the gospel with? He's just going to, he's going to as a sent one, he's there thinking all the time, who are my neighbors? Who doesn't know the gospel? How can I get to know them? How can I befriend them? Not just to share the gospel with them, but just to have friends and, and to share Jesus out of his life because he's going as a missionary. Brothers and sisters, I want to just say that you and I have already been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Father sent him, even so, he has sent you and me to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to our families, to our friends, to those we encounter in our community. Jesus has sent us 
And so we do this by living together, encouraging one another. I was just talking to a brother this past week and he just shared this very simple story and I thought it would be encouraging to you. They were going to the gym together. There's two brothers going to the gym. That's a good thing, right? We go to the gym. And so they, they're on the way to the gym and one of the brothers says, let's just pray that God gives us an encounter with someone. Just, just the thought, let's pray. And they prayed. And so they go to the gym, they're on the treadmills, they're doing treadmill, and they're just talking. They're just talking together about marriage and their wives and their things going on. Well, next to them was a, a, an, an older woman who was, they didn't know, was listening to them. And at the end of the time, when they got off, she asked them, you know, you were talking about marriage. And they just reached out to her and said, yeah, what, what, are you married? And she said, well, I lost my husband 10 years ago. And then they just, they were off. They had a conversation then. They were able to just share grace and love and peace to her. Simple, right? What are they doing? They're going to the gym. They prayed a simple prayer. You know, I'll share one more story uh, before we take the Lord's Supper together. And uh, because, you know, in January, um, we had a meeting with the staff elders and we talked about this a little bit with the, the other elders as well. But Vince led us in a conversation, what do we really want to see in our church in the coming year? And one of the things that we all had our hearts united in is we want to see people get saved here. We want to see people raised from the dead. We feel like sometimes we can just be too busy with our lives to recognize the eternal significance of the fact that God has sent us into Northern Virginia, that we are his people sent to share the gospel and he wants to use us to save his people. And so we prayed about that. Little did we know at the time, a couple had joined our church back in October and uh, they were in a dance class with their daughter and they met a woman there whose family lives in Burke and they invited them to come out to the Christmas Eve service. And uh, at the Christmas Eve service, they heard about Christianity Explored. And that woman signed up for Christianity Explored. And another woman who had been at our grief share program also signed up. And so, uh, as you know, we did, grief share, uh, we did Christianity Explored starting in, in January and we just finished up. And these two ladies really had not really read their Bibles ever. In fact, in the first meeting, one of the ladies asked, um, what are the numbers on the page, the big numbers and the little numbers? And I, this is probably a dumb question. And we said, that is not a dumb question. There's no dumb questions in Christianity Explored. You ask whatever you want, and we just want to talk about this stuff. If you don't understand something, you can ask anything you want. This is what this is about. And she didn't understand what the chapters and verses were because she had never read the Bible. And so the Christianity Explored, you just go through the words of Jesus. You go through the Gospel of Mark. This is, this is a program designed to help us as a church when we reach out to our neighbors and maybe you share the gospel with them, but you don't know how to actually cross the line with them, or maybe they need a little bit more. Sometimes it takes being in the word to come across the line, to really understand that I'm a sinner and I need a savior and that God is holy. And by week six, these two ladies said, we understand, both of them in the same, different, way, different times, both of them said, we understand the difference between Christianity and religion. And they understood the gospel and they understood that you needed to call out and depend on Christ's work on the cross for salvation in order to be saved. And um, by week seven, both of them had called out on Christ. And one of the ladies is gonna become a member here 
Uh, she's in, uh, beginning the process of that. And the other is, um, she, lived, she lived in Silver Springs. She was the woman from Grief Share. And uh, I, the church that I used to be a part of had the privilege of helping a church get started in Silver Spring about 10 years ago. And um, so I called the pastor there and he, he said, just send her over here. We'll reach out to her. And he, last week, I know she was at that church. It's five minutes walking from her apartment. God is good, isn't he? God is good. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Brothers and sisters, let's, um, let's conclude our time today by just praying and then receiving the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to save. Lord, this morning we have been reminded from your word that Jesus Christ saves us and sends us. And now in this supper, we get to remember how he saves us, how much he loves us, and that our mission is to spring from our hearts filled with love and gratefulness to God for all he has done to make us his own. Oh Lord, we just pray that you would allow us to, to form genuine relationships, that we might break the sound barrier and share from our lives with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers the very love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that we experience, Lord. May it overflow from our lives that as we love you, we testify of your love. Lord, we want to just live our lives for your glory. Lord, let us remember that God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And Father, we as a church, we offer ourselves to you. We receive the commission that you have entrusted to us again and help us who have received the peace of Christ to go into the world and share the source of that peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I said, uh, we do have a, the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper. If you have not gotten the elements, they're available in the back. This is a family meal. Um, the bread and the juice on the tables there, they symbolize the life and the death of Christ. And if you've not placed your faith in Christ, as we've talked about today, let's talk. Come on in and talk to me. You can talk to Mark. You can talk to anyone here, the person who invited you. But we ask you to maybe pass on it until you're ready to be a part of this a family meal. So now after being reminded of how Jesus saves us and sends us, we get to remember how he saved us and how much he loves us. And that mission is to spring from our hearts filled with love and gratefulness for all God has done for us to make us his own. And speaking of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives, Paul in Romans 8 writes this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to give into to fear in our relationship with God. He's our loving father. He's made us as his children. He's opened our blinded eyes 
to know his love expressed through his life, death, and resurrection. And he's poured out his spirit into us. So let's, as we consider this, one of the spirit's most important ministries besides the power to share the gospel is to remind us of the father's love for us. That's in the text, you see that? He wants to testify to our hearts that the father loves us. So as we take this meal together, remember the father loves you as his child. So let's take this bread together. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you brother. Let's take this bread together and receive it as Christ's body broken for you. Receive Christ again today in this bread that you may know the assurance of his spirit. Peace be with you. And as Jesus is our peace, the one who has provided peace with God through his blood, let us drink the symbol of his shed blood as a sign and reminder of his great love for you. Peace be with you.